Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. The topic of our study today is warnings against the sin of adultery and other sexual sins. I'll be quite honest, if you have some young people here with you, uh, that's your decision. Alrighty, some of the stuff we're going to talk about will be pretty straightforward and honest. I, I think it's okay to talk to kids about those things, but if I was a parent, I'd rather have my own conversation and not my kid asking me the questions and he said this, what does that mean? You know, that kind of thing. So you can deal with it on your own. All the best to you. <laughs> a few weeks back, a couple weeks back, I read, we were in Proverbs chapter 2, and in Proverbs 2, we came across a verse, and I, I quickly commented on it and said we're going to be coming back to this topic a little later, and today is that day. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16, it says this, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Now the context of the passage in Proverbs chapter 2 is Solomon's exhortation there in that chapter. The whole chapter was about it, was for Solomon to avoid the paths of unrighteousness. And then as he gets down to about verse 10 or 12 or or something like that, he gives a couple of different examples of people that you will find on the paths of unrighteousness. And so he gives us this word of wisdom, just a very practical step of keep yourselves from the path of unrighteousness. He's saying, look, if you apply these words of wisdom, the result of that decision will be that discretion watches over you. That's Proverbs 2.11. That understanding will guard you. And he said, and the wisdom then that you have embraced because you've applied these words of wisdom, they're going to deliver you from the way of evil. So that's his word of exhortation. Then he gives some examples of people along that particular path. And so we saw in verse 12 of Proverbs 2 what he referred to as men of perverted speech. And we know what, we have an idea of what the word perverted there means. There, what it means is twisted speech, tricky speech, not straightforward, designed to trick you and deceive you. Notice it said in verse 14, men who rejoice in doing evil, men who are devious in all of their ways. And so that's the first group of people. He says, live a life of wisdom, embrace wisdom, and you'll protect yourself from men of perverted speech, men, are that, are, men, are that, men that are devious and so on. The second example in Proverbs 2 that he gave was of the forbidden woman. Some of your versions may use the word the strange woman or the foreign woman. But in my version it says, and so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. Now notice the context of it, from the adulteress. And so the context of that passage, what he's talking about there in this second example is the adulterous woman, the forbidden woman, the stranger, the woman that is not your own. Stay from that. So he's these two examples, the man of perverted speech, the adulterous woman. He could have given a whole bunch of other examples. He could have talked about the murderer. You make these decisions, you'll keep yourself in the path of the murderer or the thief or the gossip or a whole host of other examples. But those were the two that he chose at that particular point in time. His his purpose in Proverbs chapter 2 wasn't to go down a path of talking about Uh, sexual sin and how wisdom keeps you from that. It was just to throw out a couple of quick examples. Today, 
in these next three chapters, what we're going to try and accomplish today is the more detailed explanation of the destructive dangers of the sin of adultery, or really, in reality, all sexual sin, and thus Solomon's strong exhortation for uh, his son to avoid these things at all cost. And so let's start jumping in. Starting in verse 5, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understandings, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. And as I said, look at verse 3. Now he's going to talk about the forbidden woman. He says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end... She is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of her life, and her ways wander, and she does not know it. Our version, my version, ESV says forbidden woman. Some of your versions say the foreign woman. Again, the idea is one that is not your own, and that's why it's forbidden. It's not your own. Now, I made the point back when we were looking at chapter 2, and I think it's very important to state it again here. Solomon is warning his son to steer clear of the adulterous woman, but I don't want to give this impression that this is only for us to be on our guard against those women. They're such temptresses and things like that. Again, if Solomon was writing to his daughter, he would say, avoid the, hus- the man, the, the adulterous man, or whatever it may be. But in this case, he's writing it particularly to his son, so he gives him a warning against the adulterous woman. So the warning then, the point of this then, is not you've got to watch out for those women. They're all a bunch of temptresses. Rather, the point is this, you've got to watch out for adultery. Whether you're a man or a woman, you've got to watch out for adultery. And so this is applicable, I would say, to all of us here this morning, male or female to be on our guard. And I would also add this, because some of us are sitting here, well, I'm not married, so I can't commit adultery, so this must not be for me either. Not only is this for male or female, but as you'll see, this message is for all of us, whether we are married or unmarried. Here's the, the point of this chapter. Don't go down a path that, though appealing to your flesh, will be destructive to your soul. That's the point of this chapter. And you can make any application that you want to. If you're struggling with an addiction, don't go down a path that will be appealing to your flesh but destructive to your soul. If you're struggling with bitterness and unforgiveness, don't go down a path that may be appealing to your flesh but destructive to your soul. Do you see the connection that we're making? And so continue to make that connection as well. Though the specific example might be adultery, the applications are far more, and particularly today we're looking at all manner of sexual sin or forbidden pleasures. And so, don't say today this doesn't apply to me because I don't fit into that specific category. I'm going to make every attempt to make connections for us that would go beyond the specific one that Solomon gives us, and I'd encourage you to do so uh, as well. Okay? Solomon did not always uh, live up to these words, as you know. Historically, if you've studied Solomon's life, you know you might be tempted to say he was such a hypocrite. Look at the things that he wrote. Now, you've got to remember, Solomon did a lot of the things that he did that we know him for earlier on in his life, and he realized the error of his ways. That doesn't make a person a hypocrite. That's a person that can speak from experience. And from the benefit of hindsight, Solomon can now say to his son, don't make the same mistakes that I've made. I've, blew it, I've blown it in a lot of ways, 
And because I did, I've hurt myself in a lot of ways, and a lot of damage came from those decisions that I've made. Son, don't make those same mistakes. And so he's going to dig in in these three chapters, and there's going to be three key points, and this is what we're going to look at as we make our way through these chapters. Point number one is sexual sin eventually disappoints. Point number one is sexual sin eventually disappoints. Point number two, sexual sin gradually destroys. And point number three is sexual sin ultimately kills. And we're going to look at each of those. And you say, that's a little bit hyperbolic. I don't believe it is. And I didn't say it. Solomon said it. And I'll show you what he says uh, in, his, in his words here in these chapters. Now, he writes chapter five. Chapter five's primary purpose is this idea about sexual sin always disappoints. Now, some may hear that and you're like, I don't know if that's true. I've been involved in sexual sin. I'm not sure it always disappoints. It may not disappoint initially, but in the end, it always will, according to God's word. And I'm sure many of us could say according to experience. It may not disappoint initially, but in the end, it always will. Now, with this forbidden woman here in mind, Solomon begins to appeal to his son. And he says, or exhort his son, he said, look, son, despite the fact that her words may be appealing, despite the fact that she, her words, her speech might be very flattering. Notice what it says there. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, appealing. Her speech is smoother than oil, flattering. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. So despite the fact that it may start very appealing and very alluring, in the end, those very words will prove themselves to be nothing but bitterness, bitter as wormwood, and sharp as a two-edged sword. So what begins appealing and alluring and a shot to our senses, and I feel alive and I'm so excited once again. I haven't been this excited for years. What begins that way ends in disappointment and disillusionment. And so here's Solomon's initial word of wisdom to his son. It is to look past the immediate and to think about things in the long term. That's his initial word of instruction to his son. Look past the immediate and think about things in the long term. Because in the immediate, in the immediate, the words sound appealing. The feelings are enticing. The temptation is alluring. And everything in the immediate says you should just go for it. Just go for it. You deserve it. But looking at things from the perspective of the long term, it paints a very different picture. And so you factor in the end result of this decision to give in to your desire and everything begins to change. Because if you begin to factor in that quite possibly this decision to go down this path will quite possibly mean the end of your marriage or it will forever impact your children and things begin to change a little bit with how rosy the picture looks. You factor in the reality that this decision will likely ruin your name and your reputation for the rest of your life and the picture's a little bit different. You add into the equation that this decision will undoubtedly impact your relationship with God and likely others. And suddenly now, the decision to go down this path isn't as enticing as it once was. And so Solomon, notice what he says in verse 5, her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of her life, her ways wander and she does not know it. The temptations of the adulteress may be enticing in the immediate, but Solomon says there, the end thereof is death and the grave. Sheol, the grave, but it's also a term that can be used interchangeably for hell itself. That's a strong statement that he is making. 
the end thereof is death and Sheol. And so then the question that has to be asked when we're facing this circumstance is this, is sin worth giving my life for it? Is sin worth giving my life for it? Because according to Solomon, that is where it will ultimately lead. And so throughout the book of Proverbs, and we see it again here now in chapter 5, a key idea of wisdom or thought of wisdom is this. Look ahead to see where these actions will end up taking you. Look ahead to see where these actions will end up taking you. Play out the video, the DVD of your life, and see where this decision that you are about to make right now is going to take you. Look past the immediate and think about things in the long term. Back in our last study in chapter 4, Solomon told his son to ponder the path of his feet. Then all of his ways would be sure. And you may recall that that phrase there, ponder, that term ponder, it means to weigh out. So he says, weigh out the path of your feet. Measure it. Put it in the scales and see if it balances out. Does this momentary period of pleasure in this sexual liaison with this person, is it worth giving up all of this other stuff that is over here? That's what Solomon is saying. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. That's a person of wisdom that looks at the long term and looks past the immediate. I think our society has worked very hard to convince itself that there are no consequences for those that violate God's ways and God's principles. And as those of us that believe in the word of God, we know that the exact opposite is true. Man cannot violate God's ways without experiencing the consequence for having done so. Would you agree with that? And that is why there is a repeated exhortation in Scripture for us to consider things from an eternal perspective and to look past the momentary and to take into account the eternal or at least the future. But the way of the fool... Solomon makes clear is to ignore the latter end and to allow themselves to be consumed with the momentary. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 39, or excuse me, 32, if they were wise, they would understand this and they would discern their latter end. They would look past the immediate and see into the future. But our society has very cleverly, and I would say the enemy has contributed, convinced us that there are really no consequences in the long term. And I would suggest to you it's a reason why we have such a rampant amount of broken marriages and families in our society. It's the reason why personally and nationally we have skyrocketing amounts of debt. It's the reason why our jails and our prisons are filled with men and women across this nation. Because we are a people that do not think through the consequences of our action. And instead we engage in it now and I'll deal with the consequences, if there even are consequences. I'll deal with those later. If you notice the adulteress here, that's exactly what she is doing. It says in verse 6, it says that she does not ponder the path of her feet. And because she doesn't stop and think about where her life is going, the result is it leads her to the place of death, as it says there, or the place of Sheol. And notice, and she does not know it. And so the wise person, the wise individual, ponders the paths which they go down. And as I said last week, they don't wait until they're on the path to start pondering. And they don't wait till they get to the end of the path to ponder it. But they ponder it even before they get on it. And I would say this, if you're already on that particular path, just stop what you're doing and think about this. And play out the video as to where this 
is going to take you. That's the time, the time to ponder the paths is before you get on them all together. Where's this path going to lead me? What will be the end result of this decision? What will be the outcome then for the decision that I am making now? Let's all just take a deep breath here. Whew. I sense that this is heavy. But you know what? We need to hear this. Where do you hear this? You turn on the TV. Does Oprah talk about this? Is she still on TV? I don't even know. You know, is this what you is this what you pick up on your your particular sitcom that you're sitcom that you're watching? Probably not. You, you get this from the Word of God, and so we need to hear these things. In the New Testament, we learn this: that Satan's goal in the limited time that he has remaining. Now, he is not omnipotent. He himself will be judged, and he knows that he has a limited time here on the earth to do what he is going to do and to wreak the havoc that he is going to wreak. And what we learn in the New Testament, that his desire, his goal, is to come and to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's his heart's mission, to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to steal away all that God has for you, both here on the earth and into eternity, and ultimately he wants to destroy you both physically and spiritually. Now, Satan's a pretty wise fella, and how he does that, how he accomplishes that goal to steal, kill, and destroy doesn't really matter to him. And so whether it's some quick, sudden destruction or a gradual descent into the abyss, that doesn't really matter to Satan because ultimately he accomplishes his goal, which is to destroy your soul. And what I've come to discover, and I'm sure many of you have as well, one of his most effective means of accomplishing those purposes to kill, steal, and destroy is to get people to live their life oblivious to the future consequences of their present decisions. If I can get everybody's eyes off of the eternity, Satan might be saying, then I can accomplish my goal if I just keep it on the present circumstances. Because again, the present circumstances feel good. The immediate rush, and so on. And this is again why Solomon exhorts his son, ponder your ways. The way of wisdom is this, consider now what the consequences will be then. Now, continuing in verse 7, he says, And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way from her, and do not go near the door of your house. So you notice there, he says, keep your way far from her. From, far from her. Too often, I would suggest to you that those that have become ensnared with sin have been playing with sin. And so we keep that email in the inbox instead of getting it out of our system. Or we go to that particular meeting place where we know full well that so-and-so is going to be there. Or we walk down this particular hallway just hoping maybe we'll have that momentary encounter with that particular person. And so we play with sin. We flirt with sin. We string it along thinking that everything will be okay and that we are in control. Solomon makes it clear here, sin is not something to play with. You think of the example of Joseph in the Old Testament. He didn't play around with it. He didn't stay there and just sort of see how far the things could go. He got up and he ran out of the place because he wasn't w willing to fall into sin and offend his master in such a way and ultimately offend his God in such a way. Notice what Solomon says there in verse 8. Do not go near the door of her house. Don't even go down that road. I would venture to guess, I don't know, there's probably studies that show this, that the overwhelming number of people that have found themselves or are finding themselves in the midst of an adulterous affair 
did not set up to end uh, to, did not set out to end up in that adulterous affair but rather it began with a little flirting and a little teasing and perhaps they sensed it was wrong but it's not that bad and again I don't know if there's studies done on these sorts of things I imagine there are but I have to suspect that the majority of folks that end up committing adultery played with some relationship that they should not have been playing around with thinking they could handle it or that it wouldn't go too far but before they knew it they were there in the midst of it because the way of the adulteress male or female is a slippery slope that ends up in the grave and that leads us to the second way that Solomon develops regarding this point that sin eventually disappoints and that is that whatever we thought we were gaining from this sin she made me feel so needed the sex was so exhilarating with him or her I felt so alive whatever we thought that we were gaining from this sin we quickly realize has actually brought great loss and somebody has once said this the greatest the most expensive thing in the world is sin the most expensive thing in the world is sin disobedience to God and his laws always brings costly consequences Disobedience to God and his laws always brings costly consequences. And those in sin always, eventually, pay dearly for the brief moments of pleasure. Notice some of the examples Solomon gives. Verse 9, he says, your honor will be lost. It's remarkable to me that how much our nation has changed. Harry Truman, when he was president, he had a policy that if you were on his staff and you were found, and it was mostly men on his staff, and you were found to be fooling around with somebody else, you were fired from his staff. Because if you can't be trusted in that relationship, how can I trust you to do anything else for me? My, how we have changed as a nation. Proverbs 5.9, your honor will be lost. Also, your years will be lost. He says there in verse 10, the fruit of your labor, or I, in my own words, the fruit of your labor and all that hard work will now go to another. And Solomon says there in verse 11, your conscience will forever be wounded. You'll live with this sin from this day forward. And the guilt of the sin and the foolishness of your decision, it will eat at you long after the pleasure derived from the act has dissipated. Now certainly, and I imagine some of you here have committed adultery or you were married to somebody that did. And I imagine that is the case. Certainly we know this. And so you need to hear this because I think it's important. We know that there is forgiveness for sin for the person that sincerely repents. And so if you're hearing these words and thinking, oh my gosh, you know, the heavy load that's being laid on me. There is forgiveness of sin for any sin that a person commits when they sincerely repent of that. It says in 1 John, I'll, I'll read it to you so you know that it's God's words and not mine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That being said, there are continued ramifications of our decision. And so God will forgive us. We know that to be the case. God will forgive the one who comes in sincere repentance. But the husband or wife who has been sinned against may not or in a good case scenario, they may struggle with trying to forgive you from that day forward. That's going to impact your relationship. Your relationship now as a couple is likely going to be forever damaged by this marital infidelity. God may forgive, 
But the trust of a wounded spouse or a grieving child may never return. So there's sort of the outside of the temporal, that's God and what he is doing, but here on the earth there's still ramifications. You have forever damaged your good reputation. God may forgive, but the possible physical ramifications of a pregnancy that may result or an STI that might develop or child support that now has to go to another family or whatever it might be continues on long after the infidelity and even long after your repentance because you have brought tangible and physical risk into the relationship that do not just go away even though you may have repented. Notice that Solomon there in verse 12, he also talks of the internal struggle that the regretful sinner will have to endure, essentially saying, kicking themselves later on for not having initially listened. In verse 12, it says, you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised rebuke, rebuke, excuse me, reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers. I did not incline my ear to my instructors and I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled con- um, congregation. You can see the guy's kicking himself. Why didn't I just listen to my dad? Why didn't I just listen to those that went before me, ultimately for us, God's word? If only they had taken into account then what they now know in the deepest places of their hearts. They would have never made that decision. And with all of that regret in mind, look what Solomon says in verse 15. He pleads with his son. Here's some colorful language here. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a lovely deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? My favorite verse is verse 19. As you take time to look at that, I'm just kidding. Let's move on. Certainly a lot of different metaphors. A little tension. We're trying to break it down. A lot of different metaphors Solomon uses here. Bottom line is this is what Solomon is saying. He's exhorting his son to find his joy in his release, not in some strange woman, but with his own wife. And so it's not as if Solomon is against his son fulfilling his sexual desires, as God is not against him fulfilling his sexual desires. There is, however, a proper and an improper way of doing so. And so Solomon says, drink from your own cistern. The way, that's his wife. Cistern. You know, drink from your own cistern. Drink from your own well, he says. He continues, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his paths. We've been looking at that. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. He's held fast in the cords of his sin. And he dies for a lack of discipline. Because of his great folly, he is led astray. Again, I mentioned earlier, the devil's plan is to kill, steal, and destroy. And one of the means by which he most effectively has done that is to convince humanity that there is freedom in sin. And that conversely, the laws of God are imprisoning. There's freedom in sin. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to worry about the morals of society or these things that bind you, whatever it may be. But there's freedom when you just give yourself over to sin. The Scripture teaches the exact opposite of that, that sin binds us and that it is the ways of the Lord that actually set us free. And the reality here, as Solomon makes clear, is that sin is a snare 
that holds a man fast like iron fetters. He says, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and hold him fast in the cords of his sin. So you ask a person that has found themselves hooked on some sort of substance if they are free or they are bound. Ask them and see what their answer is. Ask the person that is bound by their pornography addiction if they're free or if they are bound. We start out down the path of sin thinking we're free, that we can do whatever we want, and soon instead we find ourselves bound by that supposed freedom. And it's as if sin is whispering to us, you can do whatever you want as long as you don't do anything else and as long as you don't go anywhere else. And that's not freedom, that's bondage. The iniquities of the wicked, it says there in verse 22, ensnares a person, binds a person in their sin. And sadly, as a result of that person's lack of self-discipline, as a result of their refusal to listen, the fool is led down the path of folly, as verse 23 says, and ultimately to the place that will lead to judgment. And it does not have to be so. And yet so often it is so. I said earlier, Solomon's making three key points. Sin eventually disappoints, sin gradually destroys, and sin ultimately kills. And as we close out chapter 5 to move now to 6, we're finishing up the first of those three points that sin will eventually disappoint. Now skip down, if you will, to verse 20 of chapter 6. We'll go back and we'll look at the first 19 verses the next time we're together. The whole purpose of chapter 6, I'll lay this out there for you, Solomon is going to communicate this idea that sin uh, will ultimately destroy a person. And here's three primary evidences or um, enemies that ultimately oftentimes will do this. So three primary enemies that destroy a person. In chapter 6, Solomon's going to talk about foolishness with our finances, laziness, and then the end of the chapter, lust. And so I'm going to take the end of the chapter today as part of our greater study of this particular topic, and we'll go back and we'll look at the other things later on. Starting at verse 20, he says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproves of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread but a married woman hunts down a precious life. So he begins again by reminding his son to remember the things that he had been teaching him. He's done this a number of times already in the book of Proverbs. So, So he says there, keep your father's commandments, do not forsake your mother's teaching. He says, bind them around your heart always, tie them around your neck. What he does is he reminds him of the way in which these teachings will preserve or serve as a light onto his path and will preserve him from the way of the evil woman. Each, what he's doing is, through this whole process, he's exhorting his son, live each day, recalling to mind the things that you have been previously taught. And that's what the Lord does to each of us. He says, live each day in light of the word of God. Live each day recalling these things to mind. A key way in which any of us can live our lives as, as if we are pondering the paths that we are on is to recall to mind the things of the word of God. Lord, what way should I go? What does your word say to this? Lord, what impact will this decision have on me two weeks from now or two years from now? 
Lord, will this action bring you the honor and glory that you deserve? And what happens now is the word of God begins to serve as like a sieve. You know those things you pour your spaghetti into or whatever and the water goes away but the good stuff remains? And it becomes sort of like this sieve through which all of life's experiences are now meant to flow through. The word of God now factors into everything that I am and everything that I do. The temptation is to be led away captive by the beauty of the enticement or the allure of the immediate. And Solomon there says, no, don't let her beauty or do not desire her beauty in your heart, he says. And I think this brings up an important point here in chapter 6. Solomon there saying, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Now the idea is not that her beauty doesn't go unnoticed, but that it isn't allowed to take up residence in your heart that it isn't allowed to take up residence in your heart. Solomon is not saying, I can't believe you would actually notice that woman. That's not what he is saying. What he is saying is, don't allow your heart to go there. And so there's a big difference when something catches the periphery of your eye than when something catches the periphery of your eye and you turn back and you look, and you turn back and you look, and you turn back and you look. There's a big difference. It's a whole other matter when you stop to take the second and the third and the fourth look. That's where the snare is found. And that is when the trap has been sprung because your heart starts going there. And your heart now begins to tell you all of the lies. Oh my, he's so handsome. Or you deserve a woman like that. Look how much he or she appreciates and respects you. Your wife doesn't meet your needs as this woman will, your heart begins to go there. Solomon says, don't. And because we, this man here, because we do not set a guard over our heart, we've allowed our hearts to go down that path. And as we've been taking notice, that's the path that leads to destruction. Typically not all at once, but very gradually and very surely it leads there. And so Solomon, then he says in verse 27, one of my favorite verses, if you're memorizing one verse from every chapter, as I gave you that example a few weeks ago, I would suggest this particular verse. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Now fire is a good thing if it's confined and controlled. But if it's left to run wild, it's a destroying force like no other. Even so, the gift of sex. Sex is a good gift from God when enjoyed as God has instructed and God has intended. But when those teachings are ignored or discarded altogether, all that it was meant to be gets thrown out of the equation. And the end result that remains is pain and destruction in its wake. Can a man hold fire against his chest and not be burned? So, Solomon says, so is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Notice verse 32, he says, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be, will not be wiped away. To give in to such desire, as he says here, is foolish and it's a senseless decision. And such a decision is not the way of wisdom. And so we see, we have been seeing that sexual sin eventually disappoints. Sexual sin is gradually destructive. Now in chapter 7, we learn this, that sexual sin ultimately kills. And so Solomon begins chapter 7. He once again reminds his son, remember these words, keep these words. 
He tells his son, keep them as the apple of your eye. Look at verse 1 and 2. My son, keep my words. Treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. The idea there being, it's a phrase which refers to this idea of, let that be the focus of your eye. They thought, you know, when the pupil would focus on it, they had this feeling that that kind of looked like the center of an apple, the core of an apple. And so let that be the center of your focus. Keep your eyes focused on my teachings. Again, the exhortation... Exhortation being know God's word, remember God's word, and walk in God's word. Solomon says, bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. He says, say to wisdom, you're my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. Make wisdom and insight your deepest friend and your closest relative, he says. The scripture says, Psalm 119 says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Or an old lady, or an old man, or a young woman. How can they keep their way pure? 119.9, by taking heed according to your word. And there is strength, and there is power, and there is wisdom when we meditate on and take heed according to God's word. And that's the reason why we place so much emphasis on a book that was written 2,000 years ago and longer. It's the reason why we spend so much time when we gather together and why we encourage you to have your own personal quiet time with God's Word and to join small groups where you can discuss God's Word with other people because there is power and strength and wisdom when we meditate on and take heed according to God's Word. Solomon says, don't let these words depart from you. Bind them on your fingers. Tie them around your, write them on your hearts and they'll keep you. That's the promise. If you keep the Word, the Word will keep you. That's the promise of Proverbs here. If you keep yourself in God and in his ways, you will then begin discovering, you will discover yourself seeing through the seductive words of the temptress. Verse 5 talks about that. They will keep you from the forbidden woman, from her smooth words. You keep yourself in God and his ways. You keep his word, they will keep you. You'll find yourself, verse 10 and 12, more keenly aware of the way in which this woman prowls around seeking to seduce others as if they were nothing more than prey. You'll see through it. You'll see through her lies. And all those flattering words about how handsome you are, or smart you are, or I wish my husband was more like you, all those things, you'll read right through them. I'm not your target of prey. Be gone, Satan. You know, no offense to her, but essentially that's what you're saying. You'll discover the folly of those that thought they could play around with sin, as we talked about earlier and not experience his consequences. She says, it says, for at the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice. I've seen the simple. I've perceived the youth, young men lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner. You know, went down any other street, but they went down that street, taking the road to her house in the twilight. Remember that song, The Freaks Come Out at Night? There's truth there. You'll begin to see through that. The insincere, notice this one, I love this one. The insincere attempts at fulfilling religious duty. She seizes him, kisses him, and with bold face, you could add lies, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and today I've paid my vows. And so now I have come to meet you, to seek you eagerly insincere attempts at fulfilling religious duty with sin on her mind. 
all of her lies. Notice in verse 16 and on how wonderful it will be. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Ew. Uh, but apparently they like that. I don't know. You know. Taking cinnamons. Come, she says. Let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us delight ourselves in love. In verse 19, she implies no one will ever find out. She says, my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. The idea is at the end of the month, he'll be coming home. He took a whole bag of money with him you know, f- to pay for all that he's going to need. All of these lies. But if you keep God's word and you take heed according to God's word, you'll begin to see through all of these things. You'll see through the foolishness of going down that path. You'll see through the way that she tempts you with these lies of how handsome you are, though you may be very handsome, or how wise you are, how strong you are, or how this or how that. If you keep the word, the word will keep you, and all of her words of seduction will be seen for what they really are. As it says there in verse 21, she's just seeking to lead you as an ox to the slaughter or as a bird to a snare. And all of those will be seen for what they are, lies and deceptions. Solomon pleads with his son to choose the way of wisdom, to walk in the light, avoid the paths of darkness because they lead to death. And once again, he closes out the chapter in verse 24. He says, And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to my words. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all of her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. And so with Solomon, as Solomon with his son, so the Lord with you and I. The Lord's heart for each one of us is to live life to the fullest. And his desire is that we would thrive as we were created to thrive. We've been talking about this. And so he exhorts us, just as he exhorted the children of Israel back in the, in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, he exhorts us to choose life that we may truly live. One of the biggest snares that prevents humanity from truly discovering those things that God has for us, but truly living as he's created us to live, has to do with the area of sexual sin. And it's just as prevalent for the believer as it is for the unbeliever, even though it doesn't need to be. Human beings are triune beings. We're made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. That means we're physical, we're emotional, and we're spiritual. And prior to coming to Christ, however, we know that all people, a person is spiritually dead. Testament of Scripture is clear that they cannot know God and they cannot walk in the ways of God, at least not for any length of time. But all of that changes when a person is born a second time. That's the whole idea of this phrase, being born again. When a person comes to Christ, their spirit is made alive. And through the regenerating work of God's Holy Spirit, they now know their sin and they are now empowered to overcome that sin. That's what makes the prevalence of sexual sin in the church and in the believer's life so unfortunate because it need not be there. This is the promise of Jesus. In John chapter 8, he said this, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
And so if you sit here today and you name the name of Christ, that is, you profess that you are a follower of his, he's forgiven you of your sins, then you need to hear this truth. You have been set free from sin, all sin. It need not bind you any longer. And in the context of our study this morning, especially sexual sin. And as the Apostle Paul said to the Galatian church about another matter, but it applies to this issue as well, you need not submit again to a yoke of bondage because as the verse says for freedom Christ has set us free stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery any form of slavery and so this morning if you're a believer and yet you find yourself ensnared by a particular form of sexual sin whether that's the consumption of the pornographic which is so easy now for us to get it used to be you had to go down to the 7-eleven And you have some little 15-year-old kid, and you had to embarrassingly ask him, would you mind handing me one of those magazines? Now, you could sit at the traffic light and bring it up on your telephone or in the privacy of some secluded place, and nobody knows. And it's rampant in our society, and I suspect it's here in this church as well. Some statistics said 70% of people, men in particular, but not just men, are addicted to pornography, that they cannot become aroused unless... There's some form of pornography that has worked into the equation. That is not the will of God. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been empowered and set free from that bondage. Why submit to it again? Perhaps you've been disobeying God in the era of personal purity related to that which is forbidden. Or maybe even you're engaging in or thinking about engaging in an extramarital affair, no matter where you are in this. This word, I think, is significant for us. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And here's a little word picture that I want to close with. Habitual and repeated sexual sin in the life of the believer, it's like being chained in place by one of those long dog chains that you see some people put their dogs on in a backyard or something. And I always drive by and I see that dog chained up there, and that dog is just dying to go chase a squirrel. Or you, some mean dogs. And they want to, and there's no fence that's binding them, and there's an open road there in front of them, but that chain is keeping them there in place. And I always think it's a little sad to see a dog that way. How much sadder still when a human is bound in that way? And how much sadder still when the one that is bound in place as a child of God that was meant to be running hard after the Lord and when they themselves are the one that has bound them to that place because the chains have been cut and if there's any chains in your life that are keeping you in a particular sexual sin you're the one that went over and hooked up your chain to that little thing on the ground that keeps the dog from running away or in this case you from walking in the victory that Christ has for you and the, play, the starting point today as we end our sermon, and I'm finishing, I promise, but the starting point is this, agree with God. Agree with God that those things that are binding you are things that need not be there. And agree with God that there, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then this final point, receive from God that promised empowering of his Holy Spirit. If you're a believer here, not one of us believers here need to be bound by any sin because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives and the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk in victory, to say no to sin and yes to Christ's righteousness. And I exhort you. I love you. 
I don't come up here and look forward to screaming at you or yelling at you or making you feel bad about yourself or anything like that. I exhort you. I was bound by an, uh, an area of sexual sin probably for the first eight or nine months of my walk with Christ. And I went nowhere except that little rug or area they let me sit on in the backyard next to that chain. But when somebody told me I did not need to be bound by that sin any longer, I went on a journey with the Lord Jesus. I began to run with the Lord Jesus, and I love the Lord Jesus, and I know you do as well. And so let me just speak truth in your life. You can be free. Don't let sexual sin bind you in any way. Amen, friends? Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.